Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, February 17th. We are here live. It's a freaky Friday, free-for-all technology and efficiency. Throw it all in there. I'd call it a dumpster fire, but I think we can retire that phrase now. We're we're moving up to a full-blown toxic train fire here. So jump in and join us if you want to. It's a wide open day. Anything goes. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, we'll tackle it. Just pick up the phone and join us. The lines get busy. They always do. So start dialing right now. 855-950-3835. We we should be, I see Henry's in the house. Joel is busy today. John is supposed to be joining us, but I don't see him yet. Do we have an update on John? See, I don't see anything there. So I've got all kinds of stuff. I'm all over the board today. I'll bring Henry in and we'll start talking. Henry, looks like you're the only one on time today. It's good to be here and on time. Yes, it is good to be on time. That's going. I'm hearing myself twice. You shouldn't be anymore. I think I just fixed that. Try it. Yeah, it was better the second time. Yes. Okay, there you go. And it looks like uh, John just rolled out of bed and uh, joined us. Good morning, sleepyhead. Good morning. How are you? Good. We missed you. It's been a while. It's been a while, yeah. I was here a couple of weeks ago, but I, I couldn't get a word in, so that, that was okay. So well, yeah, I, I could get the, a lot in today, hopefully. Yeah, we're just going <laughs> to rename Fridays to Talk Over Each Other Day. Well, we're good at it. Everybody's got to be good at something, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So uh, what what's new and exciting in your world? What have you been doing the last couple of weeks? Oh, man, I've been, you know, if anyone's followed my uh, exploits on Facebook or, or whatever, I've been uh, traveling all over the place. And hey, hold on just a second. Yeah, but, yeah I uh, just had a customer knock on the door. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Spent the whole month. You know, started in Florida, went out to Seattle for a championship party. Then I went down to Palm Springs, California for four days. And there's a really cool racetrack there called the Thermal Club in Thermal, California. And we did, you know, we, we tested for four solid days and did a club race. And then I went back into the 24 hours of Daytona. That was, that was, that was, uh, that was fun. That was really good. Uh, we did well. We had, we had good pace. If it wasn't for a minor accident, we probably would have won our class. Uh, we ended up fifth even though we spent 20 some laps in the garage it was rough. We had a young driver take off on cold tires and go straight into the barrier on the outside of the pit lane. Ooh. And that wasn't, wasn't so great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Me and the team owner that were switching off drivers. And I think I probably should have been with the young guys. I mean, I deal with you know, junior drivers a lot with everything I've done. And John, the guy who owns the team is, you know, he's been dealing with professionals for a long time. So, yeah, so he didn't yeah, say, hey, you're on cold tires, let's, uh, let's uh, take it easy on the way out. And it was, you know, session right around midnight. I think he was heading out. It went right into the wall. But we rallied, got it back together. And at one point, we were in a battle for third and just didn't have the pace with the other guys. We got out-strategied by, by a couple of teammates that did a thing with the wave around. They do a yellows that kind of trapped us behind them for an extra lap. So that, that precluded us from finishing fourth anyway. But it was it was it was it was fun. It was really fun. I, I enjoy that endurance racing a lot. You know, play the fuel mileage game, get the car to go as far as it could go. You know, limit the number of pit stops. There's just so much strategy involved. 
and it's, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a whole lot of fun. So and then I, I was home for a week, and then I went back down to Florida or Austin, Austin, Texas, for an MTCA race, and then over to Florida for some more Ferrari testing, and got home yesterday. <laughs> so yeah, that was that's been my uh, been been my year so far. I've been home for a total of eight days, I think, since uh, January second. You've. Uh... <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't have it. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> you, you've been back. Yep. What's it like to uh, return to a toxic wasteland? Oh man, I'm not that close to that thing. That's still kind of frightening. Yeah, that's that's uh, you know some of that stuff is just crazy. It's just burning the stuff off without uh, without any uh, any warning. And some of the stuff that's going on over there, I've got friends in that area that are kind of freaked out. And yeah, it's it, it's it's tough. Like, I, uh, you know, I, I didn't pay any attention to it when it happened. I had no right. idea. Now, you know, some things popped up on social media the other day and now it's all over the news. And it's just, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's, yeah, I don't know, know where that's all going to go. I mean, you know, hopefully people aren't having babies with three heads in the near future or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty screwed up. So where is the news? Right? We were already using electric vehicles that would have never happened. Of course. How about how about looking after your wheel bearings a little bit better? I mean, come on. I mean, it's you know, I realize the railroads aren't in the greatest shape or whatever, but I mean, but the, you know, a lot of allowing relaxing so many so much of the uh, the, the safety rules. I mean, I live in a I live in a state that still has that still has a yearly inspection on your car, right? Yeah. Exactly. So I mean, for something like that, with those consequences, to let the maintenance go that far. I mean, for fuck's sake. I mean, it's just, it's stupid. Like, like, it why, you know, it, it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. You know, but, uh, think about that though, with that many wheel bearings, it's a miracle <laughs> that they don't do this every day. <laughs> well, well, when you, when hey, you really uh, stop and think about it, that's a, I mean, I saw a meme the other day about a guy that pulled up for his free tire check and he had like a set of Michigan doubles. Yep. Take you two hours to check your tire pressure. Yeah. So they're supposed to stop every so often and walk the bearings and all. And the amount of time that they had is actually pretty low. Did you well, hear what? Yeah. And there's technology to take care of this. There, there, there are vibration sensors and things that should be able to point that shit right out before it gets too, too bad. I mean, I, I don't believe, you know, I can't imagine that the, that the, you know, the train cars don't have stuff like that. It's nothing but money. They could put a sensor on every axle. We'd know this long before there was a problem. They just won't do it. Uh, did you hear what Buddha Judge said last night, yesterday sometime? No. So first off, there's been one, the federal government hasn't even shown up. The guy from the EPA finally showed up yesterday. That was the first person from the federal government. What's with that? Come on. Something's just really weird here. There's no reporters down there. We should have nonstop wall-to-wall coverage with cameras on what's going on, and I can't get any information anywhere. I'm following independent journalists who are reporting on Twitter, and, and they're down there in the trenches. And, and so that's weird. We're all the reporters here. But Buddha Judge said yesterday, he said, look, this is no big deal. We have a 1,000 derailments a year. What? And you're talking about it <laughs> casually? A 1,000 a year? That's two and a half a day. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You, you know, again, it's the classic case where, you know, the federal government is like, like interfering in things that they need to stay, stay the heck out of like our diets. And meanwhile, if there's, there's an agency that could maybe be making a difference somewhere. They don't. And then, they, and then they say, well, you know, it's no big deal. This, this happens. 
you know, and meanwhile, you know, the stuff, it just, it just blows me away that the way that, it, and again, maybe it's all money. Maybe there's not a strong enough lobby somewhere or whatever to, to make that happen. It's just bizarre. It just is. And, and, and DeWine's, did you see DeWine's interview the other day? Where every question he deferred to the railroad. Oh, the railroad's going to take care of it. The railroad's going to take care of everybody. We're in close contact with the railroad. They're just going to take care of it. All they care about is their freaking bottom line. They're going to do whatever they can to keep whatever as cheap as possible. Well, and, you know, it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was the strangest interview I've ever heard. Every single answer to everything was, all oh, the railroad's going to take care of it, which right. I, I don't believe for a second. Hell so. no. They're not going to take care of it. They caused it. And it wasn't an accident. This isn't an accident. We can see this coming. If we know we have two to three derailments a day, it's just a matter of time before something like this happens. And it did. And honestly, you may never be able to clear up that area ever. We don't know what this stuff does. Five or six different chemicals, one of them, were, were creating the same nerve gas we used in World War One. Come on. Well, and then, then, you know, here, since I live here, I get to get this. And, I've got, and again, I've got friends who live over that way, our local racetracks out that way. And Nelson the, uh, is that- this, this is a little, no, not Nelson. No. Nelson's a little further than the pit race. It's Beaver Falls. Oh, okay. So yeah. I'm a little bit north of where all this is, but it's still not far. Yeah. Right. So like the so the shell cracker plants over there too, which which you know I think is actually pretty cool technology. But they all they decided to burn a bunch of something off unannounced the other night while the other burn off was going on. You can't tell me it wasn't by design. Like so there are so there are these huge flashes. They're burning something off of one of the stacks. There are these great big fireballs going into the air. No way. And I have friends who like saw it. They're like this was insane. Oh no yeah, way. yeah. So. So, so the shell plant, like, and so they were questioned on it the next day. Well, we had some chemical stuff. And that was the cleanest, easiest way to get rid of it. So right. Burn it off at the stack and whatever. So, <laughs> so you got the big black smoke thing happening 10 or 15 miles from there across the border and a little south. And then you got the cracker plant that's throwing fireballs in the air that are like, as it's happening, Unbelievable. Like, you know, like they, they, they had to like see, they had to see a window there. Like, Oh, no one's going to give a shit about this with that going on. <laughs> you know, since, since we can't get, you know, any reporters down there to tell us what's going on. Maybe we could ask the Chinese to, to show us the cameras from their spy balloon yeah, yeah, so we can figure it out. Send the balloon over. Yeah, let us know. I'm Use all your TikTok, TikTok data to find out. Yeah, there, there's got to be people over there doing, doing that, So right? Yeah. So, did, have, yeah. You seen, have you seen the videos? J.D. Vance, the, the senator there in Ohio, did one, and a, a woman did one. J.D. Vance takes a stick, and he's standing by a creek. He's down there, one of the few people from the government that's actually there, and he just drags a stick through four or five inches deep water in a creek. Have you watched that one? Right. I haven't seen it yet, no. And then there's another one where a woman, it's on her property, this little creek just runs through a property, and she just takes a rock, and she tosses it out into the middle when they do it, it explodes into that rainbow-colored sheen all over the water. I've never seen it that intense either. Wow. Yeah, you got to watch the videos. Look up so, J.D. Vance. Uh, I'll pick it out. Yeah. The other yeah, one, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't yeah. remember the woman's name, but you'll probably find it. The, you know how you get that little rainbow sheen. You know there's oil or something on the water. Oh, yeah, this yeah. is... This is intense. The colors are deep, and it just spreads all across the water as soon as they touch the bottom of the, the creek. That's, that's gross. 
It's stay tuned to tonight that uh, light the creek on water on fire. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, well, hey, it's Ohio. You know, <laughs> right? They have a history of that. We used to, you know, light the Cuyahoga on fire once in a while for the fun of it. It's just to get all that oil off the top of it. Yeah, why not? exactly. Yeah. Unbelievable. So I, I, yeah, I said that at the open, we're just going to we're going to retire the phrase dumpster fire. Now it's a full blown toxic train fire. Toxic train fire. We get the toxic train fire going on. Hey, I, I want to do a little something too to uh, I'm going to pick a little fight between Henry and Joel here. I was watching, you know, checking, you know, obviously Joel Joel's impossible to ignore on social media. So is, you know, welcoming Detroit and, and such to the to the uh, Downstead party bounce bed henry weren't like five or six years ago weren't you running like two 19s in your truck two 16s two 16s that was it yeah okay so you're no newbie to this so i was i just want to you know remind people (laughs) you know what's funny that i've been thinking a lot of lately and i I always go back to one of my heroes smoky eunuch oh mine too there's nothing really new it's it's all done before overhead cams Run them fast, run them slow. I mean, look at an old John Deere farm tractor. So that was downsped. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Those things are great. Yeah. What people don't, to me, a lot of people, even size of engine, right? And you know this from racing. It's not bigger than all. It's how much air can you move through it? So, right. And and if you're making more power on a smaller cylinder, that cylinder stressed more. That's just the way it is. And yeah. there's yeah, no, no two ways around it. To throw in another one like that, doesn't it seem like we had better aerodynamics in the 40s and 50s than we did in the 60s and 70s? Well, yeah. It's interesting when you go there because, to me, when, like when I look at the original Cascadia, to me it looks like a giant 1949 Buick Roadmaster, the way the – fenders around it and they go back into the doors and the rounded windows and all that stuff they yeah. were doing it for styling then because everybody wanted to look like an airplane it wasn't necessarily aerodynamic <laughs> but, they, but it looked more aerodynamic than where they were right but yeah the style was aerodynamic though that whole streamlined thing i mean that, that was that was a, that was a style that was the future that's what everybody wanted yeah. you know and, and somewhere somehow we went awry in the uh in the later fifties and, and into the sixties and went, went away from that and you got the boxy and stuff after that. But yeah, if you go back to the thirties, the whole art deco era was just the right. styling of everything. It was, oh. it was all sleek and clean and you know, it was, and again, we're, we're, we're going back there again. I mean, we really right. are, you know, and if you look at the, I mean, I think the new trucks are great looking uh, your truck. I mean, the, the Cascadia with the Evo kit is just a good looking vehicle. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's, in every way, shape, and form. And the other one that's really nice looking is the new, the new, new T six eighty. Some of the arrow cues on that thing are really neat. You know, they've got some little turning vanes on the A pillars. They've got some really cool, you know, exit vents on the fenders that are, that are kind of neat. You know, there's some stuff on that truck that really looks impressive aerodynamic wise. They just need to get their powertrains sorted out. So, but uh, there's, yeah. there's some things arrow like on the Cascadia that go all the way back to the century. The Columbias didn't have it. Well, the Columbia was never in a wind tunnel. The Columbia was never meant to be aerodynamic. The century was. But you, right. know, you know where the hood latches are tucked around behind the hood on a Cascadia or a century? Yep. The way I understand it, they have the patent on that. 
but that's a real low pressure area, and it draws all the hot air out and fills in a low pressure area alongside the truck, basically for free. You put your hand down there in the summer, the amount of hot air that it pulls out of there, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, and it just looks like they left it open to put the wood latch in there, right? But they really it's got the air <laughs> right. in that yep. Yeah. Uh, no, no, that was a secondary thing, putting the hood latch in there. Right, yeah. That, yep. that, that, that wasn't by accident. That's the feature <laughs> that you, you only see on this brand because I think they have a patent on it. Of doing okay. That right there. I think. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. And it's funny, too. Yeah. We talk about days gone by. You know you know when cars got real square in the 80s? You know why they got square, don't you? Well, they were cheaper to make. No. It's the first cars they designed on a computer, and the computers could not do complex shapes yet. I was reading a book about that. That's why they went. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> That's weird. They, they were. <laughs> I had. I just figured it was uh, way easier to shape that metal in those shapes than it was, you know, big, if you look at the yeah, crappy cars were in general, then they were pinching a penny everywhere they went. Right. Yeah. No, it all had to do with computer designing them instead of starting out the other way with a guy with a pile of clay. <laughs> yeah. How weird. All right. I, 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 forget about why you were going old, Kevin. Yeah. I remember reading an article about this one trucking company. Oh, this is probably 20 years ago. And what a big deal it was that they were averaging near that magical seven mile of the gallon mark. Yeah. And averaging 3,000 miles a week, right? And it, it made me start thinking because the better you do as we do things, the more careful you have to be. Because a mile to the gallon now, if you're going from 10 to 11, you're only talking 901 gallons. Right. Back in the day, if you went from six to seven, you were talking about 2,400 gallons, approximately. You know, that that concept you know, has really screwed up the bottom of the industry and fuel economy because they don't understand that concept. I can't tell you how many times I work with the car haulers, the heavy haulers, people with weird operations and they're they're they always say the same thing our fuel mileage sucks so we don't even try that's the oh, worst attitude you can ever have all you have to do is get a couple tenths better and the the dollars start piling up and yet the people who could benefit the most ignore it because they don't get that concept I used to like hearing that all the time, Kevin, back when I was a flatbed carrier, which is where I learned the most about aerodynamics and how I load it and why I would never own a spread axle trailer again because of how I could load differently having an air ride slider flatbed. Right. Back back then, I would have been better, but I was hauling chain link fence thir- stack 13.6 high one direction most of the time because it was one of my main hauls, which... You learn a lot about how you load a trailer when you have chain link fence on, because that's like pulling a cattle trailer on steroids. Yeah. But yeah, that's I pretty... was averaging, the last year doing that, I averaged 7.2 miles of the gallon. Well, the company I hauled the fence for had their own company trucks that ran back empty, but hauled fence out. They were only at five and three quarter. And the dollar difference between those two is huge. And then when when you and, you know, Joel are fighting between who's getting 12 or 13, the difference is minimal. I mean, it, it's still savings. I get it. That's why we're still working at it. Oh, but yeah. It, it's half of what it is in the other scenario. Well, when, when you get up to these taller numbers, 
And, and I'll never forget, I was being asked a question one time by some marketing people, and they said, what's a tenth of a mile to the gallon mean to you? I said, well, it depends which tenth it is. Yeah. yeah. If we're, get, if we're getting 30 <laughs> mile to the gallon and, and we get another tenth, I really don't care. It's meaningless. <laughs> if I'm getting five <laughs> mile to the gallon and I get a tenth. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, Henry, Henry, you're a racer. I mean, when my son go-kart raced, and again, I've got a daughter who's a swimmer, and it's all about tenths of a second there, too. But, I mean, we, we did as close as you get to pro go-kart racing with him. It was called the Supercarts USA. In the class that we were in, there would sometimes be eight go-karts within the same tenth of a second. And now, wow. this isn't on a small oval. This is on, like, a, like a seven-tenth or eight-tenth of a mile road course. You know, we qualified We qualified eighth at a race in, uh, in a track in Grand Junction, Colorado. And we were eight hundredths from second. So we, we were, weren't even a full tenth. <laughs> and so, so, you know, in our world, and as you know, as a racer, that last tenth, you're going to spend a whole lot of money on sometimes, right? I mean, right. for me, that was the difference. You know, had I, you know, bought them another set of tires or would have kept a little time off of that engine or whatever, it, it would have been the difference. You know, that was never our, our ability, you know, given our finances. You know, we, we showed up with the same engine we ran the club races where other guys had, you know, three or four of them on a shelf because, you know, each one made power a little differently. And, you know, one car was tuned one way and one was another way and one had more ring drag than the other one. And they were just, you know, the kids with money, it was just a whole other world. So, oh, yeah, you know, I remember that carrying on when I was racing NASCAR late model stock. You had to run this stock bow tie head. Well, the farm teams would buy a hundred sets of them and flow test every one of them because you weren't allowed to mess with them and, and keep two sets and sell the rest of them back off again to get that yep. fraction. But that would never pay in your time driving your car to the, go get milk. Seeing <laughs> <laughs> those bow tie, I, I had experience with that too back in the eighties. First, first race car I ever crewed on a guy named Charlie Ammerschmidt. He had a GT1 Corvette, and this was in 85, 86. I was working in the diesel shop, and I drive to Charlie's house, which was like another 15 miles the wrong direction from home after I finished up at Bruce's. I'd go work on Charlie's race car and then go home at midnight or whatever, and of course be late to work the next morning. Whatever it was, but we did it all the time. So we had to run, the, we had the same role in SCCA. You had to run the stock bow tie heads. The aluminum ones were legal, obviously, but they were crap. So we had a set of Brodix heads that we made look like couldn't tell the difference. You pull the valve cover off, we welded the bow ties in and some guy machined them out and we made everything look like it was a cast that way. It was you would have had the you know, someone who knew knew could have could have done it. But the tech inspectors never never once got onto them. So it was it was an interesting interesting my my first experience well, with cheating. <laughs> back to my old hero, Smokey Eunuch. Never forget on the I think it was on the Hudson Hornets when he was winning with flathead sixes, but he asked, the way I understand it, he asked NASCAR what the rule was on porting and, and, and the definition of what they called porting. And they said, you know, to get in there and machine the ports. So the way I understand it, he made a concrete slurry machine that would run through the ports. So he never machined it. Mm-hmm. But the concrete hey. slurry found the way it wanted to go. And he was he was the first one to do that. There's a really successful company based right here called Extrude Home that does that same thing, but they use a silicon-based putty with uh, whatever grit you know you want in it, from in the thousands to do really fine stuff to 40 grit, and you push it through whatever port or whatever to high high pressure, and it uh, fixes it up. We used to do injector tips for uh, uh, four 
since we're in the weeds, I'll, I'll tell the story here, but we, we did Cummins, you know, 855 injector tips, the old, the old injector. So we would get a whatever size and they'd have a super, you know, fine, like two or 3000. And what it would do is stress relieve the little holes in the injector cups and round the edges and improve the flow and improve the atomization. And I uh, Bruce did that for years. And again, that was my connection. I actually, it was another place I worked and ended up working for as, I don't even want to say a subcontractor. I was just kind of their problem solver. When common rail diesel first happened, like the first when Bosch had their first patents on the high pressure common rails we know today, back in the early 90s, it could only go so high with pressure because the spill valves and the, and the, and the injector bodies, anywhere there were drillings that would have to meet inside of them, there was a stress riser, sharp edge inside of there that would cause the thing to crack at, say, 20,000 PSI. Well, they wanted 30 or 40 or 50 or 80,000 PSI is what they were shooting for. And it didn't work. So they came to extrude home and we built a machine for them. When I say we, the company grew immensely in a short period of time. And the fellow who owned it was a friend of mine. So he couldn't just get stuff done. When he had to make a machine quickly, it would have to be approved by the board. It would have to go to machine design. It would have to have a cost analysis done on it. So he literally gave me the keys to this multi-million dollar facility with every machine, anything in the world. And I'd sneak in on weekends and just make stuff for it. Because I needed something that does this, and my guys can't do it for months. Could you come in this weekend and do it? So I would do it. I'd make stuff for them. When Ford was in a class action lawsuit because the Mustang, whatever it was back in the late 90s, didn't make the advertised horsepower, their solution was to have the number one port of the intake manifold extrude honed because the problem between the test engine and the production engine was that they modified the number one port to fit the alternator. So the alternator sat in the valley, and rather than redesign the intake, this is Ford, I'm not a huge Ford fan, they, in their genius, they decided to just modify the casting on the first port. So the first port on the manifold, as those engines were delivered, flowed like 30% less than the other. So their solution was to send crates and crates of manifolds to extrude home, and they pushed this putty through there, just like Smokey's concrete slurry, until they got the flow number they needed out of that port, while ignoring the other, the other seven ports got ignored. But they, they, they flowed the one to do it. So Larry, the guy who owned the place, lands this deal. Things are showing up. He doesn't have a machine fixturing to put it in the machine. He has machines that will pump the putty, but he doesn't have all the stuff to mount the manifold and put it through. And, you know, he had to do, you know, so many every every minute or whatever. I forget what the deal was. So I went in there on a Friday night and worked until Sunday night. Never, never, never left. Took a couple of naps here and there, but never left the place. And we had the machine up and running by Monday morning. And his whole... Meanwhile, this is a place with, you know, engineers that work for them and whatever. He would have me come in and do stuff like this. It was a blast. But the the common rail story, they built a machine that went over to France, and there's a uh, subcontractor that builds a bunch of parts for uh, for Bosch called Frank and Pinyard, and they're in a little town called Clues, France, which is just outside of Geneva, Switzerland, actually. Then there's a whole industrial corridor there that was built, you know, in reconstruction after World War II. We probably build all the buildings, but this beautiful area it's just full of these subcontractors, and they're all automotive subcontractors. So F&P is the name of the company, and they're trying to process all these injector parts with this extrude home machine that extrude home sold, sold them for millions of dollars. The machine kept crashing, and I had built a vacuum system for them to clean the, to clean the media out, and when they installed it, they had all the plumbing wrong. All the flow was backwards. I don't know why people struggle so hard to understand vacuum as opposed to like regular airflow, but they, they had everything wrong. They had the velocities in the wrong places and they couldn't return the media back to the, to the, uh, 
process and time. And so they sent me to France for 10, that was there for two weeks, well, not 10 days, it was two full weeks. And it completely redid the system there and got it all up and working. And it was, it was, it was fun, but that was the very early, early, you know, common rail. So there's not a common rail spill valve or injector body that hasn't been extrude honed, you know, similar to that process Smokey used on his intakes just to, to, to keep them from, from cracking under pressure. Bringing this back to trucking, John, one of the things <laughs> that's similar to that. I, I worked it back I, to that with common rail because we all benefit from that now, right? <laughs> right, right. But this is on aerodynamics. So okay. On the early Cascadias, they had a little bit of a problem with behind the mirrors. It formed such a vacuum that when you turned on your windshield wipers, the spray would get on your mirrors bad. Well, I was driving one of those older Cascadias out across Missouri into this driving snow, and the snow reshaped the front of the mirrors. It was beautiful, and it froze on there. And for two days, I had no dirt on my mirrors. Of course, I took a picture of it and sent it to them, right? Well, the new mirrors look a lot like that picture. And <laughs> the funny side of that story is I was reading in the Super Truck article where they were alluding to nature likes to make the shape the way it ought to be. And what I ended up hearing from one of the engineers, they found this place that when you put a vehicle in it, they blow snow and ice at it and let nature reshape it to its optimal shape. Think about that. Wouldn't that work, John? That would absolutely work. Yeah. Yep. You know, so CFD does the same thing right now. I know it's far from nature, but it's amazing to me. You know, they're aerodynamics is its math, right? You're going to arrive at the same formula eventually. It's, it's a lot of math that could be, you know, there, there's so many variables. But if you think about it, then again, it's happening to trucks. They're starting to look alike. I mean, that uh, there, there's, a, there's one ideal shape. If you look at every one of these mini or whatever SUVs that are out there on the road today that everybody seems to want to buy, you know, not, you know, not, not full size SUV, but the, you know, everyone has, every, every car company has like the, three different size SUVs now. <laughs> The crossover, yeah. They're all the same. They all, like, the profile's the same. So everybody's got the supercomputer running the CFD, coming up with the ideal shape, and we're arriving at the same place. It's, it's amazing that, that that's what's happening. But yeah, nature did it first. I love to look at, like, if you look at some profile of a bird in a dive, like, that, 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 that's the perfect aerodynamic shape. It doesn't get better than that. I mean, that, that evolved over probably billions of years. You know, some might disagree with me, but I'm thinking billions maybe. Shortly after the thing happened, it's been a long, long time, right? Yeah, a whole long <laughs> yeah to, uh, to to do that, and it's amazing. Uh, it's just uh, it's it's, it's hey. and again, yeah, the shape of the the ice is just unreal. I've heard of other things being used in wind tunnels too to to help create shapes or synthetic things. Hey, John, to see what it does on that particular car. Yeah, I just had a thought. You're right. Nature mm-hmm. did that through you know, the the process of evolution, which technically is kind of accidental, that mutation happens when we don't even know why it happens, just because that's how nature works. Cells aren't machines. They do different things. We get a mutation and that animal becomes more competitive for some reason. It's able to live longer. It's able to get food better. In this case, it's able to hunt better. As the shape of that bird changes, it becomes more efficient, but it's an accident. But the accident persists because survival. 
And then that happens over and over and over and over, and it's really efficient. What if we were to take AI, which was going to be my next topic I wanted to run by you guys, because I've been talking about it for about a month now, and tell AI to start designing vehicles through the evolutionary process, like nature did. I mean, that's the kind of computing power we need to do that. The scary thing, it's there. I mean, you know, really, AI can do that. I'm sure that the algorithms could be written to to have it evolve in such a way. That's just, uh, you know, it's amazing. You know, when the computers are going to take over the world someday, but uh, that's that's just... But someday, you know, I think it started evolution. happening last <laughs> month. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> AI all of a sudden is everywhere. We're talking about... Here, here's, the, here's the crazy thing. I've been reading articles on AI for a decade or more. I mean, not intensively, but, I, you know, AI has been around. We've been talking about it for a long time. All of a sudden, out of the blue, it was just here. Like, really? We have AI? We can go play with it ourselves, And we can. The funny thing is, yep. Aaron and Lisa and I, you know, we don't run this company like a traditional company. We don't really have a CEO. We don't. We kind of just. We don't really run it by committee either. It's we all kind of do our own thing. You know, we have our own area in the company that we work on and it all kind of works. And um, the funny thing was all three of us had already within just a week or two all found an AI tool and we were using it in what we do within the company. You know, Lisa had found one that helped with marketing, writing good ad copy and email. And Aaron found one that um, does just this crazy job of editing audio. So in the podcast world, most podcasts are like an hour a week and it's a host and a guest. You know, that's a pretty traditional podcast format. And if you're doing an hour a week, and you've got even a little bit of revenue, you can afford to have your hour professionally edited. But it's tough. You know, they take out gaps, too much silence. They take out words like, um, and, you know, when people repeat themselves or stutter, they fix that. They bring audio levels up so they all match. And then you get this nice polished piece of audio at the end. But it's expensive because it's labor intensive. You know, we do 10 to 15 hours a week We can't possibly pay to have that edited. We'd go broke. But Aaron found some AI that is basically free. We'll pay a little bit to license it, and it will do this all in the background for us. It's amazing. Yeah. I don't know. You know, eventually we have to drop the word artificial. I mean, the stuff is doing its stuff on its own. Like, it's not really. How is that artificial? I think it just is intelligence now. It's kind of bizarre, yeah, to to get your head around this stuff. The other thing that it does really, really well, after it listens to all that audio, fixes all the audio, transcribes the audio, so now we have it all in text, it also writes a really good summary of what's in the audio. And that's hard. It, you know, we, we've been trying to do that for years. It's just a lot of work. If you don't have somebody that that's what they do, you know, if they're not a copywriter and I can't afford to have a full-time copywriter, you just struggle with it. And and all of a sudden, here's this tool that is really, really good at it. So I used my phone, right? Could have recorded. I went to the driver's meeting at at Daytona and, you know, here I am with like all these, you know, Daytona, the 24 hour brings people from every genre of racing from all over the world. 
And the guy who runs it, our, our chief steward was a fellow named Bo Barfield, who's just a really good friend of mine. And he runs a great meeting. I, I know I sound like a geek, but they're enjoyable. Like you go to his meeting and it, it's, it's enjoyable. It's, you know, the, the guy is a great speaker. He's, he's an ex racer himself. He, he gets it like it's good. So none of my drivers showed up. There were two meetings. It was the new driver meeting. And I had three new drivers in my car who had never done the 24 before, and they failed to show up. I was not impressed with that. So I'm like, well, I ought to do something with this. So I opened up notes on my iPhone, and I hit the little voice button, and it made me a transcript of the whole thing. And it had a couple really funny mistakes in it, which you right. have some fun with, but it said it was pretty darn good. Like, yeah. it was, it made paragraphs, it everything. It was really good. <laughs> like it was, you know, there. Like I said, there were a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of typos or a couple of words that were not quite right that really were kind of hilarious. But I did a whole transcript of an hour-long drivers' meeting, you know, to to give to my guys. And they failed to show up, and it was it was interesting. And like I said, yeah, it's, it's um, that's just walking around. That's in your pocket. You're walking around with that in your pocket. Do you know? Just a couple <laughs> of years ago. If you wanted transcription like that, because we looked at it, I wanted to transcribe all my shows because I prefer text. I, I don't watch videos online. Right. I don't listen to much audio. It takes too much time. Give it to me in text and I can blow through it. I can search for things. So we, we wanted to, you know, transcribe all of our shows and, and put the, the results out in text for people. Just a couple of years ago, it was still 150 to $200 an hour of audio to get it transcribed. And now your phone does it. Like I said, to go through and proof it and fix it up would be nothing. Right. I mean, it's close enough that right. you'd, you'd spend an hour, maybe maybe two max, just touching it up, right? And, and you have a perfect transcript. Yeah. It's it, pretty it, amazing. It, it's really amazing. It's getting better and better all the time. You know, and it's, it's, they're starting to use some limited AI. So, you know, there's a lot of words that when you speak them, you know, two words together all of a sudden become one word that's totally different. And you see how it happens. Oh, yeah. Well, if all it, if all the technology is doing is just listening to the audio, it won't fix things like that. But once you start to add some intelligence and it can look at the words around that word, it, it figures it out by context. It's amazing. Yeah. So that's, it blows me away. I uses, uses context. That's awesome. Yeah. And, but why not? Like, if you think about it, this makes total sense. You should be able to do that. That's kind of how we do it. You know, if we heard, we hear a word correct, we can almost always put the right word in there because of the words that came before and after, right? Our brain just does that. Yep. That's what they're doing. They're, they're just saying, yep. look, this word almost always falls between these two words. This is the more likely, and, and it's learning mm. to do this the way we do it with our brain. That's, yeah, it's amazing. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it just blows me away. The, uh, you ever play the game, uh, open your phone up like you're going to write a text to somebody, just keep hitting the middle button, whatever word it, it, it predicts that's in the middle spot. No. It writes some oh. funny shit. It's good. <laughs> All right. So. <laughs> yeah, do that. Up. Open a text window, type one word in, and then just hit the middle button a whole bunch of times and see what happens. That way. Yeah. <laughs> you don't always. It always predicts one right in the middle, so you just keep hitting that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we can geek out a little more on on. Uh, we're going to be talking about that. This is the new 
you know, we had the internet, which was a really, really big thing for a long time. Then the internet really became social media, which, which was kind of the next big phase of it, which we've been going through now for a decade plus. AI is, is the next round. It's all we're going to be talking about for a long time. AI is going to, and there's some real positives, but think of, here, here's something else. I was just talking about how labor intensive it is to edit audio. Well, podcasting kind of took off about the mid 2000s, you know, 2005, right around the middle there is when it really started to catch on the word podcast, uh, you know, came about. So this is a fairly new industry. This industry has not been around for two decades yet, and it's about to disappear. That, that, that audio editing of podcasting is going to disappear. All those people, those industries, those companies will be gone because of this technology, and they haven't even been here for two decades yet. Mm-hmm. Kevin, you can go back. We were talking about this the other day, how small the world becomes. You know, when they did the first telegraph cable across the ocean and connected continents, yeah. what a massive change that had to be on the flow of information. Right. I mean, that, that was massive. And that was just a telegraph. Yeah. To, to look at how things are connected today, it, it's unbelievable. Really is. Hey, hey we're going to lighten up here. John, I don't know. You probably weren't listening to the show yesterday, but I'm wondering if your ears were burning. We were talking about you. Oh, no. No, I was not listening yesterday. I was yeah, getting caught up on stuff here at the shop. Got it. So yeah. so here's here. I'll retell the story for you. So <laughs> <laughs> I hate to get too political, but it's impossible not to these days. It's almost comical. Have you seen Kamala Harris when she she did that thing about space and you could see the moon and, and how she talks like she's talking to a group of four year olds. Have you seen some of these videos? I try not to. I just I try not to watch her. I try not to. I, I agree. Yeah. So but that, <laughs> but that came up. Well, I brought it up because this last one was one. It was about a topic we talk about all the time, electric vehicles. And it was so ridiculous and I saw it because I couldn't avoid it. I wanted to see what here's. So I was trying to impersonate her because it's not just what she says when she does this. It's how she says it. It's so bizarre. So yeah. I said, well, I'm going to impersonate her, but I'm not good at that. So I'm not going to try to, you know, I'm not going to try to do the voice. You'll just, you'll get it when I say this, right? So I kind of did this thing. And here's what she did. She was talking about electric school buses. Oh, and by the way, don't forget, they're going to be yellow or orange. And that's how she says it. They'll, they'll, be, they'll be yellow or orange. And she, like, she's talking to a three-year-old is how she does this. But then she went on to say, she said, imagine this. In your electric school bus, you'll be able to plug in your phone and charge it from a USB port. Oh, great. She actually said Wonderful. that in this really excited voice, like we we all can't wait to be able to charge our phone in our vehicle. What? So I'm telling this, and the next <laughs> caller says, look, if you want to make that skit effective, you're going to have to learn how to do that cackle. And I said, oh, no, I'm just going to hire John to do it for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> see, That's how I feel about that, but yeah, I'm all right with it. <laughs> well, yeah, but see – 
Her her cackle is annoying. Everybody loves yours. So that's why we're using yours. Okay, good. Yeah, it's a positive thing. It's a good thing. We all well, need, we all look forward I'm to just, that laugh on Fridays. It all makes our day. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm glad I could do that for you. There you go. <laughs> so let's uh All right. Before we get too deep into the weeds, let's grab some calls. Brian has been on this call longer than I have. Haven't you, Brian? The beep went over you. Yeah, about an hour, right? An hour and two minutes. <laughs> yeah, you were on oh, the really? call well, before I was. <laughs> yeah, usually <laughs> I complain. Yeah, usually I completely miss the live show. But if I'm here, I'm always, yeah, I'm here before you when I am here. That's right. But, uh, yeah, I, I was all over the place yesterday, and, and now I'm just going to derail everything today. You say we can talk about anything. So I'm disappointed that uh, hey, hey, Brian. Joel's not here. Brian, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to jump in here and give you your first uh, yellow card warning. Uh, that term derail is no longer allowed. It's triggering. Oh, oh sorry. Sorry. Try again. Okay, okay. So... But I am actually going to tie this into yesterday. I did give you credit for my owner-operator career, and I, but I, I failed to give my wife and my daughter credit because um, they were a big part, too. And I'll tell a real short life story. Uh, we, we bought our first home, and the week of closing, we found out that my wife was pregnant, so that was good timing. And I... Start. I bought my first truck about eight months later. Literally, when my wife went to the hospital, that was when I hung up my company keys and hung out with her in the hospital for a couple of days and our new daughter, firstborn, and uh, started with my truck after that. So since we had just bought a house eight months prior, I, I did something you probably wouldn't recommend, but did yourself and in a way. I financed a twelve thousand dollar truck. <laughs> but, uh, I I financed an eight thousand dollar truck to get started. Not not only yeah yeah and, and and you're right. I don't recommend that works, but I got lucky or I worked hard enough to make it work. Not only did I finance an eight thousand dollar truck, I had to borrow the four hundred dollars to fly down and pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So oh, I did want to say my wife always encouraged me because I've always talked about being an owner operator and she'd say, do it, do it, do it. You can do it. And uh, my daughter was, was coming along. Knew if I didn't do it right then, uh, once we had kids, that that was never going to happen. Probably. You know, I, right? Just, I actually I really like that. I think that's very cool to always be able to look back and say, you know, my, my daughter and my business were born at the same time. It, it also makes it a lot easier to remember both. That's right. <laughs> that's right. I think that's very cool. Well, you know, yeah. speaking of making it easier to remember, I got married on April 15th and I hate taxes. <laughs> So <laughs> I want, I needed to make that a there happy day and it's easy to remember. There you go. So, so did you guys, I got to ask, did, 
when was this? Were you were you you weren't doing taxes anymore? But you still do your own taxes at the last minute. So my question is, do you guys go out for dinner on tax day? I almost never. Tax day doesn't even matter much anymore because honestly, I don't do my own taxes. <laughs> That's why it doesn't matter much anymore. I just, I get it all over to the accountant and whenever he gets it done, he gets it done. And most of the time we don't file yeah. the return until the final day. The at the deadline way out in October is when I file my return. We've usually got it done before oh, April yeah. 15th or at least enough that we can make a really good estimated payment on April 15th. And then I forget about it. And, you know, later on in October, we end up filing it. Gotcha. That's right. I forgot about the extension. Yeah. And, you know, you can't prove this because they hide this kind of stuff pretty. They don't let this stuff out the IRS and how they pick returns for audits and things like that. There's all kinds of weird formulas. But I just have this belief that the later I get mine in each year, maybe the less likely it is to be audited. I think they might hit their quotas you know, before they get to mine. I can't prove that, but that's my logic. <laughs> I like that. We'll go with that because right. I'm, yeah, I'm always doing extensions, but, but yeah, no, I did. I did want to stir things up a little bit today and, and say that I've been happily married to my wife for over a decade and she is a first generation immigrant from El Salvador. So she's Hispanic and you guys have mentioned before, I believe you, John, and Joel all have a history with Hispanic women, and I thought it was kind of funny. I would say we have somewhat similar personalities and how they agree and don't agree with the typical Hispanic woman personality. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I will now. say, a first-generation immigrant. Hey, yeah, hey, yeah. Hey, they're, Brian, they're remember, you're, you're already on a yellow card. I know, I know. Hey, it's Friday, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's Friday. It's Friday. Yeah, yeah. The referee will look the um, other way on Fridays. <laughs> but... No, I will say, you know, a first-generation immigrant, that they know all about the hustle, right? So That's right. So they'll fully support that and and sacrifices that need to be made, you know, sometimes in regard to that. You, you know, us, us white people in general have a reputation of, you know, not working too hard and in, instant gratification and all that. But, uh, you know, I think sometimes... Um, the whole touchy-feely relationship side could, could be a little interesting. So, you know, if you guys want to share any stories or survival tips, or, or maybe we'll learn something Bri about Henry, too, today. Brian. Hey, Brian. You don't want relationship hey. advice from me. No, no, not at all. <laughs> Brian, did, did you forget to take your brain octane yep. this morning? <laughs> Do you, are, you, maybe. are you mistaken? Did you think you called the Dr. Phil show? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I didn't want any serious advice. I, I was just, you know, I'm just stirring the pot a okay. little. Come on. Okay. I, I can help you then. I can help you. I do have some advice here. Now, I've said in the past 
that there's, I'll answer questions about a lot of things, but don't ask me about relationships. You don't want my advice. Go talk to Dr. Phil, but I'm going to help you out here. When she starts to get that look in her eye, you know, that fiery, especially those Hispanics, she gets that fiery look in her eye and she's about ready to just let loose. Just look at her and say, look, honey, just calm down. It's no big deal. (laughs) You don't say that to anyone. (laughs) Calm down. Oh, <laughs> great advice. Great advice. Like, you know, life and memes. I saw a meme on social media that said that in the history of calming down, no one has ever calmed down because they were told to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That'll turn out perfectly. Yes. <laughs> what else you got, Brian? That's all I got today, and you know, I had I had McDonald's for breakfast, so that that's uh, oh, shame right there. Hey, <laughs> hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to pass along another piece of advice to help people out here, and and I got this from a credible source, the Wall Street Journal. So don't worry about all this inflation. Just skip breakfast to save money. That was their advice. <laughs> Just skip breakfast. You know, the interesting thing is, I actually agree with them. We talk all the time, extend your fast in the morning. It's good for you. But to, to give I, it now I at a time it. like this to tell people to do it, to, to save money, is almost like telling people to calm down. Don't tell me to skip a meal for me, to eating, save money. Yeah. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't think it's very good financial advice because breakfast is the cheapest meal of the day. Come on. <laughs> Especially at McDonald's. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And all right, we're going to we're going to cut yep, you sir. loose and we'll save you from getting a red card. You're getting close there. Let's go to Florida. <laughs> Raymond, welcome to the program. Good morning. What's on your mind today? Oh, a lot of things really, but I want to cover the Hispanic white thing first here. Uh, my good friend, almost my best friend, I guess, like, he married a Peruvian wife. Okay, I was all into congratulations. He's like, you know, he went to Peru looking for a gold mine, really, and I said, sir, you found something more precious than gold. You found love. Okay. Well, last April, she stabbed him to death with a damn butcher knife from behind. He was at his computer, and she came around and stabbed him in the chest three times then, and then slit her own throat. What? So we need to be a little bit, little bit careful or let you know women. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Right, sir. I'm sorry. We may have to quit for today. No. Okay. Wow. Okay. Here we go. Okay. I used to love, I was a gearhead, buddy. I did, I did nine events in 2010. I mean, nine races in a truck. I mean, find out your, your truck is like your motor home. You drop the trailer somewhere, you can drive right to that track, but can't ground you got it made. Anyway, I quit because of the umpire. I cannot stand the umpire. Okay, the point I'm driving at, Mark Martin should have won the championship in what year was that? I, it's somewhere in the 90s or early 2s. In the 90s. They, they found an illegal manifold on his car. It was The manifold was too high. Everybody's like, 
uh, why, you know? Well, I mean, I, they, they are hard to tell these years. Okay? Let it up. Now, this is true. He, <clears throat> Jack Rouse, of course, was an was was innovator of that, or his team. You know, basically, that is where all these innovations, or a lot of these innovations came from. Cheating in NASCAR. Come on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Well, they're, they're, they're so, oh, they're, they're, ne well, they're negative against innovation because they find the shit, everybody. <laughs> Carl Long, another one, another car, okay, another story here. Carl Long had a, had a, uh, had a, a motor that was like point two six cubic inches too big. They found that boy a hundred thousand dollars for that. Make your five match the crime. Come on, that's stupid. An independent guy like that, a thousand dollars more than he can pay. Okay. <laughs> All right, does that mean rant over? Brian Frantz, they want to drug test every driver. Brian Frantz is up there in New York. He gets arrested for cocaine, methamphetamine, and being drunk. So the head of NASCAR does that. Oh, yeah. Enough said about that. All right. What else you got? Okay, practical, practical advice here. Uh, this is kind of off the cuff here, but I think with automatic transmission, you need to raise your foot and let it shift when it shifts. What do you think about that? Sort of. I'll raise up off, raise up off the gas, have this little bit, so, and it'll go quicker. Well, sort of. So one of the problems with the truck transmission of what they're calling an automatic is not an automatic. It's an automated manual. And if you lift your foot up too fast or too far, it'll hold the gear because the message you sent it is you want to slow down. So the real okay. trick to these automated manuals is knowing that it's not smart or stupid. It's operating on logic. And once you figure out the logic to it, you can make it play like a fiddle under your foot. Right. Well, that's the first piece of logic I figured out about these things. And they're, they're still called the automatic... Automated manual. Uh, automated manual. Yeah, be, See, yeah, I, I, I knew the first one was. The first one, you have to 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 have like I do it in mine, people don't even see my foot move. All you gotta do is relieve a little bit of pressure to the pedal. You don't really lift. If you lift, if you lift up real quick, uh, another complaint you used to hear of people they'd say it hesitated in the middle of an intersection. Well, I nicknamed yeah. my transmission Spock because it's pure pure logic, right? And if you're easing up to a light and the <laughs> light's red and you're out of the throttle. All that transmission's concerned with is nobody's getting hurt. It doesn't know if we're going to pick up speed, lose speed. It doesn't even know there's a light there. And you see the things up in a high gear and you do nothing. Nothing's being hurt. That light turns green when you get on the throttle. Remember, it's a manual transmission underneath all of it. It has to go do what we would have had to do, which is go find a gear. So if you see it's in a high gear and that light's getting ready to turn green, just light bump, the bump your, bump your manual, please, right? Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Just tap the no. All you gotta do is tap the throttle once. Okay, tap the throttle once and shift that. Yeah. No, it's yeah. down on its own because when you tap the throttle, that sent a message to Spock that we're getting ready to accelerate and it finds the right gear ahead of time. That's an excellent subject. I'm glad you brought that up because 
I've noticed the thing will take off in fifth gear sometimes. Need to really. I mean, it needs to be in fifth gear, normal situation with no load, right? But it'll be in third sometimes too with the with the load. And so they they have a tilt switch in them, and as soon as you take off, kind of like Kevin was talking about earlier with artificial intelligence. So if you're driving around bobtail and you hook the truck up to a trailer. At this point, yeah. it doesn't know you hooked up to a trailer. You roll it into gear, it's going to try and take off in the fifth. Then it's going to feel the load behind it, and it's going to be like, oh, no, that's not good. And then your throttle pedal is going to go dead because it's going to go searching for a lower gear. So when you hook up to a trailer, I always tell everybody, paddle it down to first, the first time you take off, and it relearns that load within three foot of moving. Ooh, yeah, yeah. But okay. it's not... Not as smart or stupid. It's operating on logic. Go on. I'm learning a lot here. Anything else on transmission? Which transmission are you talking about? And did you find the clutch pedal yet? Because they still have one. It's hidden. Oh, there's no pedal, but it's I-12 Volvo. Tell me about the previous owner did put a clutch pack in. It's 700,000 miles. Yeah, it's the same clutch similar to what we always had. So I'm pretty sure on the Volvo this is this way from the one I drove at a customer's, but I know the Detroit one is, as soon as you give it, everything's a message. So when you start going in on the throttle, it engages the clutch quickly. If you just let your foot off the brake, and they call creep mode, I got a better description of what's actually happening there. That should be called, hey driver, you're slipping the clutch mode. So if you're sitting (laughs) at a light, every time you take your foot off the brake, it's a pneumatic throwout bearing that's tied into the brake system. And when you feel creep forward, you're slipping the clutch. So when I'm at a traffic light, I hold, I hold the brake with my left foot because it doesn't have anything to do anymore. And as I release the, the brake slash clutch pedal, because it's both, I ease into the throttle right away and it gets the clutch engaged quicker so you're not slipping the clutch all the way through it. This is also handy when you're... It's a pneumatic throwout bearing behind the clutch. So, like, if you're hooking up to a trailer and say the trailer's a little low, if you give it throttle to go up under there, that clutch is going to fully engage, and you're going to hit the kickpin too hard because you can't take your foot from the throttle to the brake fast enough. But if you barely feather the brake just enough to light up the brake lights, not to actually put on the brakes, you can regulate that clutch in and out with your brake pedal just like you had a separate pedal. Cool. You know, uh, I, I was trained early on clutches. My brother-in-law, he don't ride the clutch. I mean, he's my, my mechanical mentor, pretty much. Don't ride the clutch. Don't ride. Truly, I have never, ever put a clutch in anything for, for cause it fails. Maybe throwing the dang throw-out bearing through the finger or something like that, you know. To tell you how far it is, the Pingles, which you know, Kevin, the, their clutch in their DT12, when they got rid of their truck, had a million two hundred thousand on it, and it still had the original. Yeah, yeah. And by contrast, I had, I was down in Tampa, Florida, and there was these local day cabs that had an automated manual, and they not fifty thousand. Well, when I got the talk right. to the driver, it's because he thought he was driving an automatic, not an automated manual, and when they were sitting at a traffic light. They kept taking their foot off the brake and easing forward like people do with an automatic in a yeah. car. And a clutch has X of, John would agree with this, I'm sure. A clutch has X amount of engagements in its life. Because when it engages, right. that's when it wears. Well, 
they used up all those engagements in 50,000 miles because they were doing that way too often. Hey, hey, Henry, I have another story similar to this, you know, backing under the trailer with these rough and using that brake thing. I've been doing that since these came out or backing up to a dock, especially when you've got the high gear ratios we've been talking about and you don't have the oh, yeah. gears or the low reverse gears. This problem gets worse. The, uh, the smart yeah. car that I bought, mine was from Germany. It was actually built in Germany by Mercedes. That's got a six-speed automated manual with a centrifugal clutch. Same setup as what we use in the trucks. And you can hear it shift just like a manual does. But to get it started, you feel the centrifugal clutch, you know, kind of grab. And so when I decided to stretch the frame and build the ramps to drive the smart car up onto the back of the truck. And of course, course I've got really (laughs) short ramps, so it's a really steep because I don't want to carry around really long ramps. So the first couple times I tried to get that smart car up there, I thought I was going to launch it right over the other side. So finally, I I put in a winch instead. Driving it up there was, was kind of a white knuckle experience every day. Right. But that's probably the biggest problem that people run into with these automated manuals. It keeps me busy going around doing driver training is that word automatic does more harm to these transmissions than anything else. And everybody and their brother wants to call them automatics. And they're like, oh, my transmission overheated. It says creep mode aboard it. No, that message. I, I'm not in marketing, I guess, for this reason, because I would have put a message up that everybody would have understood when, when that happened in the truck. And it would have said, hey, driver, you're smoking the clutch. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to move along. We're going to head off to South Carolina. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. I got a, I got a list. I had a question for John, but I'll get to that in a minute. I got a few comments. Um, artificial intelligence in the future. If you Google that, there'll be a picture of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris pop up. That's artificial intelligence. And also heard it described as lack of intelligence. Yeah. So, and then tracking onto tacking onto that one, you charge your smartphone from your electric car. I have the earlier model. Mine's diesel electric charging. <laughs> um, so, Kevin, if you forget your anniversary, because I had that happen one time, but my wife forgot as well. Do you just tell her that you filed an extension? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I filed an extension. I'll see you in October. Yeah. Well, this year is your anniversary on April 18th because they moved tax day. <laughs> don't make me think that hard on a Friday. Okay. I don't uh, know. I'll have to think about that. Um, I guess that buys Kevin, me a couple Kevin, of Kevin, days Kevin, just in case. Kevin. Yeah. Kevin, I have to stop you before you go too far because from that earlier call about the butcher knife, remember that when you make this decision. There you go. Yeah, hide the knives. So, and one one I seen the other day on Facebook. If you spell the word incorrectly, if you spell it wrong, it's incorrect. But if you spell it correctly, it's still incorrectly. A little bit of trivia there. (laughs) A little bit. You're right. Yeah. So, (laughs) question for John. My my turbo actuators. I think they're playing up but I'm pretty sure they're the original. But I've changed the turbo, which was about six months ago, I think, 
But okay. just yesterday, like even, you know, you really stand on it. Sometimes it don't keep up. But yesterday when I was driving easily, even taking off on a downhill, it was like it was hanging up. Sound like cat trying to cough up a hairball. Should I just really? replace them? Yeah. Did you get a check in mate? Well, I have one for an emission code, but I got to go back up to Pennsylvania. But I will see what that is. If there's so if that actuator is acting up, you will immediately get a code. You know, the computer requests a certain amount of boost for a certain situation, and that actuator is responsible for opening the veins to that degree or the aperture inside of the uh, the pulse turn, but the veins don't turn. But there's a you know it squeezes the opening there. So. You would have immediately, you may not want to scan it, or if you could scan it on, on your own, I don't know if you have a little tool you could do that with, or oh, no. your ELD will do it. Uh, but you want to look into that. It, so you will not have an, I wouldn't throw the money at it arbitrarily just because it did that. You may have another problem, Paul, is what I'm saying. Okay. It's, uh, yeah, because it, it's pretty sensitive to that. So the, like I said, the computer knows the position of the vein or the aperture in the, in the whole sit. It knows how much boost it asks for. It knows where that should be to create the amount of boost that it wants to create. And it'll do what's called a logic error. You will immediately get an error if that thing is not where it thinks it should be for the prescribed amount of boost. Uh, so if you had a problem with the actuator itself, which is very expensive, it would, would be telling you. But you'd know immediately. So the computer is okay. smart enough to do that. So I would look for something else. You know, I'll still be basically driving it the same but just like yesterday a number of times so i guess i have to look hmm. into it so yeah yeah you get get leroy on that if you got someone remote near you you might want to go plug in and let leroy plug uh jump on with them okay uh, and one other you question. Into Pittsburgh. Yep. one other one other question are you gonna go to the truck show this year with america i think it's a free weekend for me i'd love to come down yeah if we want to uh we will do a live show or something kevin i'm not gonna be there he's not gonna be there Oh, you're not going? Oh, okay. First time right. in no. first time in thirty some years that when well, they'll have the show. Obviously, I missed a couple of years they didn't have it, but yeah, first time in thirty years. We right. just get right. we're so backed up on projects right now. I've got to stay here and keep my head down and get some work done. Okay. Yeah, well, well yeah, I'm probably I'm probably going to go down for a day or two anyway, Paul. Okay. Well, I'll be I'll be checking I'll be checking in with Henry. I'll be checking in with Joel. I'll be checking in with Pittsburgh Power, but actually this year I have a short list, so there you go. People will spot me or hear me. So okay, I'll carry on. Thanks. All right. See ya. Sorry, Paul. See ya. All right, we're gonna get to another call. Lines are open if you want to jump in. When we run out of calls, we're done for the week. Um, did you guys see that new ten liter engine Cummins is gonna bring out and replace their? Nine liter and their X12 or X is it the X12, X13, whatever that one is. 12, I guess. Yeah. They're, they're replacing them both with a 10 liter multi fuel engine. Have you seen that? Yes, I have. Yep. So on a medium duty, might be an awesome engine. On a class eight, and you know me, I kind of like smaller engines, but a 10 liter running on, you know, lower quality fuels just doesn't sound like a good idea to me with 80,000 pounds. I don't know, Kevin. The super truck, the the first Freightliner one, that was around 10 liters. It wasn't running on the lower quality fuels. But, you know, I look at that new Chevy GMC half-ton pickup truck engine, that three-liter diesel, which mm-hmm. 
they're, they're limited. I think they should put that in their one ton because I used to pull a race car with my 350 one ton dually that only had 165 horsepower and got everywhere. Right. <laughs> that three liter, then I upgraded to a 454, which was a big deal to have a one ton dually with a 454. Right, John? But oh yeah. That new, that new little three liter turbo diesel puts out way more power than my old 454 did. Yeah. And it has a 10 speed transmission behind it. Yeah. I've always been a fan of smaller engines when they're built right. I just think 10 liters and then, and like I said, I think the breaking point for me is you start running that on some fuel that has a lot less BTUs in it. And I just don't know how, I just don't think that's going to work all that well. Yeah, I don't either. Have a smoky unit air and fuel. They can put enough of that lower quality fuel in there with more air. They can make it happen. Well, right, but if you can do that, but then, then the efficiency goes right out the window. Right. Yeah. So it's you know the energies in the fuel. Everybody forgets. You know, even in, in you know race cars, everyone talks about air and air and flow and all that stuff. Well, these really need flow is to burn more fuel. You know, it's really that simple. Especially a gasoline engine that's stoichiometric. I mean, it's it's a pretty simple formula. One of the beauties of diesels diesel is that it's not. You know, it could run up multiple air fuel ratios, and and you could have an efficiency curve that's really interesting you know you could go go it's, it's but there's 30 percent, i believe it is 30 percent more btus per pound or something in diesel somewhere in that neighborhood so if you're going to put gasoline or something else in it or some some other crap yeah i don't know why it's gonna how that's going to be good so unless I, it's going to be hydrogen maybe they're going to do a high and hydrogen's got terrible energy density but yeah i don't know what you do with that, that makes no sense to me at all. And I have another little tidbit of information that I can talk about just a little bit. Packard's got a new engine under development right now, and I hope I'm wrong. I didn't get any details, but don't believe they're going the downsped route. And it's going to be a 14 liter. So there's a new Packard on the that should be released shortly or another year or two. Uh, they did all the work for all the next next round of emissions, and it's going to be a 14 liter of all things. And at least the little hunch I got from my connection there said they're not doing the downsped route. So interesting. That'll be interesting. Yeah, it really is because it seems like you know since we've learned about this over the last couple of years, we've really looked at it that it is pretty superior to the way we've been doing this. So you 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 know I've often wondered why when one company really comes up with a breakthrough and it works better and we see it year after year. Why don't other companies just copy them? I, sometimes it just makes sense. You know, one of the examples that come to mind and they've kind of fallen apart this year, unfortunately, but Southwest, you know, people either love or hate flying on Southwest, but it's efficient. You watch them turn planes around quickly. And yet every other airline looks at them and says, we're just not going to do it. They just won't make that change. And there's so many examples of this. Yeah, but it's, it's one thing. It's, it's one thing and one thing only, and it's ego. I guess it's, it it's is. either, you know, a corporate culture that has an ego or, or, or a couple of humans within that, that corporation that are pretty high up that have an ego. It is nothing but ego, and it's damaging. It's the only it thing that does allow you to perform to your, to your max. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only it's explanation that makes sense. John, just, just imagine that with people copying each other, and it was funny when I used to race on the dirt. I was running, I won the championship using a 73 Chevrolet Caprice against Camaros. 
<laughs> but I had it lightened up. And I figured out how to make yeah. that car that it outhooked everybody going off the turns. And I was 58% front end weight, and they were 55, 56 rear end weight. But they would bring right. them around, and I wouldn't, right? And nobody ever copied it. And you know how it is in racing. If you put a piece of duct tape on your valve cover and you're winning, I mean, everybody has duct tape. They don't even know why it's there, but they're going to do it, right? But They're going to do it, car, yeah, for sure. That, that, that car in 1988, I won half the races with it in top three dress, and nobody copied it. And I had to drive it all together different than they did. But, you know, I knew why it worked, but... By the same so token, a, Kevin, by some people going another way, you also find innovations. Because if I looked at it, okay, everybody that's winning is running second-generation Camaro. I need a second-generation Camaro. Oh, no. I, well, I'm, one all, of, I'm usually for the innovator. I just wonder why when the innovator finally hits on something that really works and you can see it obviously works better, there's so much resistance to just copy it and move on. Yeah, to try try to improve upon it even. Right. So it's uh, right. Yeah. So I, you know, I I try I approach what I do. You know, I I don't want to say I don't have an ego. I'm pretty proud of some things I've done. I'm pretty confident in what I can do. But but largely because I don't have classic ego. You know, I'll learn from my mechanics sometimes. I'm working on a car. A lot a lot of engineers who do what I do. And we get a decent buck a day for what we do, and you want to protect yourself, and there's all sorts of things, and they want to add importance to what they're doing. Be vocal about doing nothing sometimes, even though I'm being paid a lot. I'm not going to just make a change to a car because I feel like I have to because someone's paying me a couple of grand a day to be there if that's not the problem. you know. So I'll, I'll step back. And I share what I do with a lot of people. Like I'll explain to all my mechanics why I'm going to change what I'm going to change. Hey, we're going to do a ride high change. You know, The driver said it was a little bit loose here, and you know, well, I'm going to drop the rear a little bit and it's going to affect the car dynamically. And it's also going to move the roll center a little bit and the mechanics will just listen and they'll like be all wide eyed. And am I worried about one of them taking my job? No. And if he does good for him, I mean, I, it wouldn't bother me a bit. I'm not going to protect that. I'd rather bring them in and have them part of it, and share all this stuff. And like what, what Henry said about his weight distribution with his Caprice compared to the Camaros, that makes a ton of sense. You know, which end of the car do you want to stick? You don't want more weight on it. You want less because, you know, it's like a rock on the end of the rope. So eventually the rope's going to break if you spin it fast enough. So you want to want, you know, the end you won't need to hang on longer. You want to make it a little lighter, not heavier, which just goes counterintuitive to some people, but that's just the way it is. And I love sharing that stuff. It's just, uh, and I'm always learning. Like I said, I'm going to learn from my mechanics. I'll let them have a suggestion. I'll be like, hey, we're going to do this. What do you think? And they look at me like I'm crazy because no one does that. <laughs> All right, guys. Yeah, hey, look, uh, look, in, look in the trucking industry that way, Kevin. Look how aerodynamics are just now really starting to catch on, but you still see plenty of the classic old school. And look how long it's taken for wide base singles to catch on and then not catch on. And then six, six by, by twos. twos. No, all the, we know all these things work. I I had a six by two back in the eighties, and it worked. <laughs> it actually made sense, and it worked, wow. and it was old, and it was crude, but it was still better. Had we started advancing that technology back then, instead of just giving up on it and coming back to it three decades later, yeah, I agree. All right, it's time to uh, time to move along. I've got a test for you guys. You ready? Test. Yeah, it's a test. You ready? I'm ready. I'm going to describe a product here. 
This is a fuel combustion improvement technology implemented as a plug-in device for internal combustion engines. It reduces fuel consumption by up to 20%, reduces CO2 emissions by 15%, which converts into carbon credits, and allows customers to be more sustainable and environmentally friendly. So you know what the product does. You kind of know how it does it. Now, here are three facts about this product. Does the, not going to say the name of it yet. Does the device require any service during its lifetime operations? The device does not require any service during the operation. There are no replacement parts or consumables. Does the device require a connection to the vehicle's electrical network? It does not require a connection to the vehicle's electric network. What engines and vehicle types is the device applicable on? Diesel, gasoline, and overall up to 70 different engine types. You guys intrigued yet? Oh, man. This is going to change the world. You just really hung me up at up to 70. So that means if you have the 74th engine, you're in bad shape. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So... I always like up to. So this this thing, it's uh, it's like a what does this thing look like? It's like a cylinder kind of thing, and the fuel comes in one end and goes out the other, and maybe it's uh, three or four inches in diameter. No other connections, no electrical connections, no moving parts, nothing to service, and it's going to increase our fuel economy by 20%. <laughs> it's it's a catalyst. Yeah, that's all it is. So point about these kind of claims, can anybody really say that there's 20% of the fuel we're not burning? No. So how could this possibly that. work? That's ridiculous. So there was, so, uh, there was a thing in the mid-90s. You guys might have, might have come across Henry, you might remember this. So they kind of, they, they kind of, and they they were trying to market them to some racers at some point. Bruce was heavily involved in this too. He he, he was he was into yeah, a long time ago. It was it was a magnet, the fuel magnet, the Python. Oh, fuel the magnet. fuel magnet. Oh yes, yes, I remember <laughs> that one. Yeah, Bruce's buddy was in the in selling. He came to my race shop. I just opened my shop. It was like ninety six or ninety seven. Had this monster of a thing, this big red magnet. Oh man, it's going to make your car faster. Like I laughed at him and told him to leave, but it was, you know, he left it at my shop though. He's like, are you going to try this on one of your cars? Like, I'll just leave it here. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. It's not going to one of the race cars. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It was all exactly the same claim. So yeah. So I don't know what the, the inline catalyst does. It wasn't running over some, yeah, because, because I know what's in the fuel catalyst. I mean, it's, it's a pretty simple uh, thing that, that that is in the, in the fuel additives that, you know, we right. call catalyst. It's a, well, I won't say it on the air, but it's yeah. been around forever. It's really not that big of a deal. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it's you know, and that's a chemical that goes in and does release some CO two whenever it, whenever it's burned. But that's about that's about it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So now they have one that goes in line and it never needs servicing. That's amazing. Well, yeah. So if, well, if, if you like this, 
along the line of what you're saying, I got an old J.C. Whitney catalog from the early 70s that I always like to look at, and it has all the emissions defeat devices and everything of how people were trying to get around. But the one was this miraculous <laughs> PVC valve, and they listed out each manufacturer of engine and how much you got for that one. And the Cadillac was like 20% of you put this PVC valve on it. Like each one was a different amount of a. I mean, that made it more believable because it had a different level of efficiency on an AMC than it did, you know, a Dodge. Henry, I can't count how many hours I spent with the J.C. Whitney catalog. That was like my favorite thing when that thing I used to read it. Holy cow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thing from them though, because my problem was couldn't tell what brand the stuff was, you know, of what it really was. But I enjoyed looking at it, but I never bought anything through there. Oh, I did, I did all kinds of stuff for my uh, motorcycle. You know, they, they like this. Do they really? Yeah, they, they're they're kind of. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, they have a really good online store right now. They're they're trying to compete like with Rock Auto. I mean, they're they're still in wow. existence as in name anyway. I'm not sure if it's the same well, people. They, they they were Rock Auto before there was Rock Auto. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that they they seem to have adapted and go on their website. They've got really good prices on parts. You know what I always liked about it. Was... Go ahead. What's that? Do they tell you whose parts they are now? You know, like if it was like a lift kit for a four wheel drive, right? It wouldn't tell you it, what it, brand it. Was. Oh yeah. It, it's it's all name brand. Yeah. Bought some bought some NFAB running board slash rock things for for my pickup truck from there. Oh, cool. It was the cheapest price I find. And I also bought a Natalie for the rear and, and a set of front springs from them. And they were rough country or whatever. It was it was all name brand stuff. Nice. And yeah, it was and it was really reasonable. And again, I just Google searched what I was looking for and JC Whitney came up. I'm like, what the heck? And I had I had to buy them from them just for the hell of it. So I'm like, because because I spent hours of my youth reading that catalog as well. I would read it cover to cover when it oh, showed up. Yeah. I you. did too. <laughs> and, and you know what? From month to month, it didn't change that much, but I'd still read it cover to cover just to make sure I didn't miss something new. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Why am I not surprised that all three of us used to geek out on the J.C. Whitney catalog? <laughs> I loved it, yeah. I know. I know. Oh, man. So in case you want to check the color of mine in. Yeah. In case you want to check this out, the product or the company is called Fuel Well, and it's fuel-well.com. It's amazing to me how much money and time and effort goes into these things that just seem so ridiculous. Let's, uh, let's grab a couple calls. Let's go to Nebraska. Grant, welcome to the program. Hello. I had just a few comments, but now I have even more. In high school, there was a kid that would always get in trouble right behind me the day after the J.C. Whitney catalog would show up because <laughs> that was more enjoyable than whatever class I was in, I guess. Hey, hey I had, a, I had uh, a trick for that. All you had to do was cover it with an old shopping bag. Remember when we have to co- had to cover our yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just yep. did that to the catalog, and then it wasn't as easy to notice. There was a reason this guy was a... A year older than all of us in our same class. <laughs> That's right. But anyway, it's been a while. I was going to call in when John was talking about his hi-fi stereo stuff because I got into <laughs> trucking because I worked for a sound and lighting company and we had to move our own equipment. And one of our biggest concerts, we had two stages side by side and we had 
44 subwoofers that had four 18-inch drivers in each one. So it's like uh, 190-something 18s. And the concert I remember the most was the band started at noon. And so the first sound check was at 6.45 in the morning. And if you've ever been to a concert, they like to sound check at concert volume. So there was a whole lot of angry people five miles away (laughs) calling in (laughs) because at in the morning, it was not a good wake-up song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all those all those 18s drew so much power, we had to put them on a separate generator because it was doing a brownout for the stages because when it would hit the low note, the voltage would drop and the audio consoles would turn off. <laughs> so there's a, uh, a famous concert in the, in the Grateful Dead's Wall of Sound era where they had the most speakers. That was the biggest ever I, I think to date i mean it was a, i don't know how many speakers were involved in what they call the wall of sound but they did the highest attended concert in the united states ever was not woodstock it was watkins Glen in 1973 with grateful dead almond brothers and the band yep. 600 and some odd thousand people went to it it was insane like it was nuts so yeah and, and you see pictures now in europe and that the concerts now are kind of the same way just a sea of people yeah, and but if you want to Google something really cool, the Grateful Dead sound check from Watkins Glen '73, '72, nice. whatever year that was. But yeah, it, it's some of the best playing you've ever heard Jerry do. It's unreal. It's it's really really cool. It's uh, that, it's worth it's worth a listen. That wall of sound, it, they did that to eliminate their onstage monitors, so they were playing right in front of the speakers the audience heard. So if you've ever heard feedback, you know how annoying they use two microphones for every normal microphone to cancel out the feedback so they didn't get feedback standing in front of this giant wall of speakers of however many thousands of watts it was pretty crazy i did i realized that's how they did that that's that's brilliant that's really cool yeah yeah because you can you can you can start you can either change the phase or change the polarity and i don't remember which one but they they made it so that the one microphone would cancel out the feedback from the other microphone. It'll cancel it out. Yeah, if you flip it, yeah, because one channel goes one way, one goes the other. So you've got DC voltage, and it constantly goes from positive to negative from one side to the other. So if they if they flipped the polarity, it would have so you'd have you'd have equal opposite waves that should cancel each other out for sure. Yep. Uh, and then uh, some comments on alternative energy trucks. Uh, Joel made a comment that Union Pacific tried the turbine engine uh, technology. Uh, yes, it worked. You could get 8,500 horsepower out of a 100,000 pound locomotive. But they were loud and you couldn't park under bridges because the exhaust from the turbine would melt the bridge. <laughs> so they had to be very careful where they parked those things. That could be a problem. And it was, and it was all in an attempt to get away, get, get around the union rules. Cause if the locomotive could move on its own power, it required a crew. So if it was just one big locomotive with only one set of controls, then they didn't have to pay as many people. But as you can tell, that didn't stick around long because now everybody just uses diesel electric. Yeah, Much exactly. Turbine engines were running electric generator too when Union Pacific did that. Yeah, yeah, they were they were burning bunker C fuel oil, which is one step above tar. Uh, so they had to heat that so it would flow, and then they would burn that, and it would burn the generator. But the moment you get through dusty environments or anything, those turbine blades would just get shredded. So it's there's a lot of maintenance. 
And then I'm, I'm disappointed nobody made a comment about the Mr. Fusion 3000 that Dr. Emmett Brown invented that only <laughs> would need half of a beer can and a banana peel. Hey, speaking of banana peels. Nobody's, nobody's pop culture. Speaking of banana peels, not sure people are aware of how versatile they really are. The vegans are now letting the banana peels kind of turn, you know, brown and black with those spots, and then they throw them in a frying pan and pretend it's bacon. Oh, delicious. Yeah, doesn't that sound wonderful? It's just like bacon, I'm sure. Maybe if you fry it with bacon grease. (laughs) Yeah, lots of it. And then when you're done, throw away the banana peel and eat the bacon grease. It would be better. Yeah, there, there you go. It's like it's like the new form of hot honey. You flavor the bacon grease with stuff to get some new flavor profiles. There you go. Yeah. One, one last comment, and then you can hang up on me. Uh, <laughs> miss, you missed the part of why the chat bot is so vegan. It, it has nothing to do with the programmers. All they do is feed it chips. Uh, all right. You, you're right. I am hanging up on you for that one. You're out of here. <laughs> Let's go to South Dakota. Tom, welcome to the program. Yeah, hey, Kevin. I wanted to talk about that Volvo, that turbo compound counting motor, but I have a real quick comment about the train. So I I had the luxury of um, spending the night of the 7th in Geneva, Pennsylvania, and then I had to go to New York. And that, that uh, and I was wondering why I was itching, and then my face broke out in a big rash. So I don't, uh, I've never had my face break out in a big rash before. And uh, I had to spend two days right up posted that plume on, uh, on Twitter. Hello? Yeah. Posted the plume on Twitter. I was right in the middle of that damn thing for two days and uh, couldn't figure out why I was itching and why my face broke out. So, so hey, anyway. Hey, Tom. Uh, Tom, I know it's a freaky Friday and we joke about a lot of stuff and, and I want to make sure. Are you serious? That actually did happen to you? No, swear to God. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. See, and the reason I'm asking is because I keep hearing that. I see people posting it on Twitter as far up as, you know, near Niagara Falls, and, and that is the direction the plume's going in. They're saying their throats are burning, their eyes are, are burning, they're they're getting rashes. And I saw a guy who uh, has a license to, to rescue fox in, in that area, and his, his fox are all really ill uh, in really bad shape. I've seen people that show their entire flock of backyard chickens have died. And, you know, you have to wonder, is this real? Or are these people just posting this to, you know, stir up this shit? Have to believe it's real. I keep hearing from more and more people. Why, why isn't this the number one news story everywhere right now? I, I don't know. I had to go I hung out in Geneva right there on the on the pretty close to the lake, you know. Well, it is. It's called Geneva on the Lake. Oh, okay, yeah. On, on the night of the 6th. And then I had delivery in Auburn, New York on the 7th. And then I had to go to, back to Tonawanda, New York, and pick up on the 8th. And so I was right in that in that area. And, and I've never had a rash on my entire before. And, and I was itching. I couldn't sleep. I, I couldn't figure out why I was itching, but I just had did my bedding. And I usually so, do it with the, with the no, perf, no, no perfume, you know, soap. And I was mad at myself because I had bought downy stuff and I thought, ah, shit, I'm, it was the soap, you know. And I mean, so, you know, let's think. 
Let's think of something for a second. Based on what I just heard, I think that, not sure where you came from, but it sounds to me or, like the closest oh, really? you, you got to East Palestine was Geneva. And in, when you're in Geneva, you're maybe 50 to 60. Well, were you Geneva University? Were, were you in, uh, not Geneva on the lake, but were you on the, the Beaver River there in, in at Geneva, where the Geneva University is? Because that's really close to where it happened. No, no, I was up by the, by the Geneva on the lake. On the, oh, okay, on the yeah, yeah. so far away there, yeah. This is kind of my point. Miles on the map. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought it was closer to 60, but directly north right there. So if you were 90 miles away and not living there, you're not there 24 hours a day, you're kind of passing through this area that far away, and you're getting a rash, and they're telling people, go back into your home and drink the water, everything's okay. That's what they told people yesterday. And that's another, and that's another thing. Okay, so people that are on wells, well, their well's not going to be contaminated right now. How long? I don't know what the soil density is there, or if there's you know, shale rock or what it is, it's going to take a while for that groundwater or that poison to get into the wells. It's not going to happen. You know, they could test it as much as they want right now. Test that shit in a, every month for a month, you know, for, for, for four years. I mean, it'll take years sometimes for that water to get down in your well, depending on where you're at. Well, the the other thing that about this whole thing, when we start talking about these carcinogenic chemicals, uh, how many people are tired of the whole Camp Lejeune commercials on TV that run nonstop? That's from well, you know, okay, that's, that's from forty years ago. They were exposed. Yeah, four years of Camp Lejeune and died of what the scarlatoma. You know, all of a sudden, well, ten years ago, the scarlatoma. Yeah, and we didn't find out about this for forty years. Four, year, four years he spent the camp, he was based right there at Camp Lejeune, you know. And so I don't know, I don't know if that had anything, you know, if it, it might have been something else. But, who, but, I mean, come on, you know, Jesus, Louise. Yeah. It's not, you know. There, not, there's... Just tell us the truth, you know. You know, t- tell us that Warren Buffett's why you why you lit that shit on fire so the, so the trains could roll again. You know, we can understand that. Well, here's the thing. If they told us the truth, I think we would have to just shut down, you know, a 10-mile radius around there and and just not allow anybody to to live there at all. 10 miles. So I I blew a trailer tire up there by my delivery in Auburn. And so I went to the loves and I was hanging out outside all day that day, you know, um, waiting for these guys to get me in. It took them like four hours for a stupid trailer car. So I'm outside just bullshit. And it was, it was a sunny day, you know, sort of enjoying the sun. It was cold. No wind was blowing. But, but uh, little did I know, I didn't know they lifted the damn thing on fire, you know. So, so it wasn't like I was just in my truck the entire time, you know. And sure enough, next day, bam, I got a big old rash on my face. That's scary. The only part of me oh, you know what I mean? So, that, that. It's not just the rash on my face. My, my, scalp, my scalp's been itching since. You know, I'm like, I mean, you know, I don't have, I don't have like rosacea or anything like that. I don't right. have that. So I wondered if you had any more listeners that are up there. And I don't know where Pittsburgh Tower is, if they're north or south of 
They're about uh, maybe 60 to 80 miles, almost due east, right? Maybe a little yeah, southeast? They're they're north and north and east. North and east. Okay, north yeah. East, yeah, yeah, a little north and east. Yep. So, so, so north and east. Yeah, so, so they're like due, they're due east of Youngstown. So, right. Yeah, so you'd go. I've got, a, I've got a friend. I've got a friend who lives in the Beaver Valley. He's, you know, he's a racer. He's got, uh, he lives very, like I said, close to there. He lives in uh, somewhere in the, the, the Beaver Valley area there, like south of the Turnpike, uh, you know, where it crosses the Beaver River there, uh, which is probably only about 25 or 30 miles from there. He owns property in, uh, it was it East Palestine or what? So he went there to check on it the other day before too much came out. And he's sick as a dog right now. Like he's, he's not, not well. Unbelievable. Oh, he's sick. Yeah. No. yeah. No rashes or anything like that. It's just, uh, Cough, throat, like a tickle in his throat that won't go away. Runny nose, like just won't stop. He just, it's, uh, you know, and, and he was he was there for maybe an hour and it got out. And uh, yeah, he's uh, and he's you know he's not a whiner. He's he's a pretty sturdy guy. He's really fit. He's you know uh, yeah not. And he's like man, he goes I yeah I can't stop coughing and those won't won't stop running. So like a tickle in his throat that won't go away. And uh, yeah, he's he's very uncomfortable. Let's put it that way. This is not a good thing. would clarify this, but I, I don't believe so. I think that that thing hit everywhere pretty much at the same time. Europeans just, you know, it was more marketable in Europe, the downsped philosophy that doesn't really sell as well here as it should. Okay. But I mean, as a technology, I, I'm pretty sure it dropped in both places at the same time. I don't believe that it's that, uh, that big of a deal. So, so all, all the compounder does is takes the really excited exhaust gases that are leaving the turbo and, 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 and really active and moving around and, runs them through another turbine and speeds it up, and then it transfers that power right to the crankshaft through some really clever clutching mechanism from what I what I could see. It, so that's, uh, that's what the compounder does. That's where it makes the bottom end, the extra bottom end torque from that. It's actually pretty simple technology. Not around forever. It's another thing. It's every, everything old is new again, right, right Henry? Like, uh, you, well, yeah, it, it's, it, yeah. I was just doing some research on the compound turbo, of course, Detroit had it on the DD-15, and then they found that they didn't need it, or they needed to be, and picked up efficiency getting rid of it. They picked up efficiency when they got it, and they picked up more when they got rid of it. But when I was doing research on compound turbos, the aviation industry, where it was really king, it's funny. Do you know what the turbo compound ended up inventing? They did away with the engine and made the turboprop. Turbo prop turbo <laughs> yeah. there you go so, yep. so 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 I, I find that kind of interesting isn't it john that the the 
turbo compounding is what led to the turboprop, which did away with the reciprocating engine. Hey, right? Yeah, let's let's just throw the fuel into the turbine, right? Like let's you know again, like the uh, three diesels engine, the 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 book. Uh, Golf Diesel decided to invent a diesel engine because he was looking at steam engines. Like, well, why don't we just put the coal into the cylinder and let it burn rather than heat this water and drip it in there and have it expand and move a piston? Let's let's let some you know coal dust go into the cylinder and just let the heat of compression pop it, and make it go just like it does on on the steam engine, and we'll we'll have it uh, we'll go straight in with it. We'll eliminate the steam part of it. And this whole philosophy behind inventing the diesel engine was not a variation of the few benzene engines that were around at the time, but it was his way to replace the steam. Interesting. I think it's the first chapter in the book. He goes through his his whole thought process as to why he invented the, and his very first one uh, was uh, basically it ran on coal dust. Wow. It really finely ground coal dust, went straight into the cylinder. You know, there was enough heat of compression to light it off and it went. So, and, and, I bet you that had some soot to deal with. <laughs> you think? You imagine it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Very first working model was that. Yeah. Nick, Henry, before I forget, you've been smushing on it. You put a piece of uh, a duct tape on top of your uh, manifold, you know, the next day, and you win, the next day everybody's got a piece of duct tape on the manifold. Uh, when I was with the horses, I was Vanberg, and he had won a big race before I worked for him. I think the horse was, was genuine risk, but I'm not 100% sure. But he put a jock strap on the horse because the horse had huge nuts. And so <laughs> I went like the great one sent in you to Derby on a Saturday. That Monday, you go to the track in the morning, and there's about six millions <laughs> of them working out with jock straps. <laughs> oh, oh horse, horse balls. The, the show. The show has officially gone off the rails. We're talking about horse balls and jocks. I don't think many of those, you know, those TCs must be working out pretty good here because I don't see many for sale. I actually can't find one for sale because I'm trying to price them. And uh, I don't see anything. So I guess they're working out okay. Do you know, is Pittsburgh Power working on elbows more now than they were? A few years ago, I don't think so. I know they've kind of they've kind of made a couple stabs at it, and you know I know the engineering department has looked at it a couple times, but I don't think they've made any real inroads into working on them a lot. No, because they can't get the, they can't get that proprietary information. Uh, I think that's probably the main setback for them. Uh, that that's an excuse. That's not the case. Yeah, it's really not. There, you know, there is still, there's still some of that. With the stuff they're doing, they don't need to eat much. You know, that that is that is that would be some investment, but uh, it would be well within their means to do it. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's just really not. It's just not a little bit out of their wheelhouse right now. You know, like I said, I know engineering is probably working on some tuning, but I think that's about it. You know, the one of the reasons you have to go where the market share is, right? Well. Some of it, you know, but at some point, I mean, Volvo's made a lot of improvements in their market share, and I think that's going to accelerate. One of the problems, and we all face this in business right now, you just can't get help. I, I mean, we're we're really limited on how many projects we can get out the door simply because we can't get help. And you say, well, you got to be able to hire somebody. Well, you can hire somebody, 
But you go through that process, the time to hire him, the cost of hiring him, bring him in, training him, and then you find out they're a dirtbag because that's about the only people looking for jobs these days. And after you do that a couple of times, you give up and say, we'll just make do with the people we have. And, and why is that, Kevin? I'm seeing that doc still now. I, I, I was under the impression that the extension for the, the unemployment this, had run out. This isn't about unemployment anymore. Now, that, 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 that's what started we're, we're, this, all the incentives, all the unemployment, but that hasn't been around for almost two years now. We can't keep using that as the excuse. Um, I don't want to get too far out there, but we are, we are in a population problem right now. We're, not enough babies have been born in the last couple of decades. We are not in an overcrowded world like they're trying to tell us. We don't have enough people to sustain our economy anymore. I, well, I mean, we need them. I, I need think them. we need to figure out a way to fast track some of those immigrants into the workforce. Now, uh, now that's how my people came here. You now, know, I think that's what happens. So. I, I agree, John. I think we should... Well, I don't think this is a free-for-all. You don't let everybody into your country. Let the people in your country that are going to come here and work hard and add to, you know, our quality of life. I'm all for more immigration. I believe we're going to find that's 90% of them. I really do. I I don't think they're coming here to suck up the tea to the system. These people want to work. Everyone I've ever met, we uh, hold a whole place I worked in Colorado was full of, like, we like to call them illegals. But they they were undocumented. And they paid taxes, uh, had temporary, they, they, they came up for the winter, they had temporary social security numbers, we withheld taxes from their pay, they shipped every penny they made home to their families, they tried to get their families here, they worked harder than, you know, a combination of, uh, of undocumented from Mexico and frat boy Americans, I'll take undocumented from Mexico as my employees any day. Absolutely. And it was just, uh, it was just, uh, it was such an eye opener to me. And these people had to jump through insane hoops to get in. I mean, it was nowhere near what it is now for my 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 ancestors who you know weren't that long ago, well, turn of the century, just after the turn of the century, to come work in mills. They got sponsored by a church or whatever. They pretty much walked through, told them their name, and they were in. You well, know, made sure they didn't have any uh, didn't have think, any diseases, and they were on their way. Let's think about something. All of us on this call right now, aren't we all immigrants here? Absolutely, the whole country. Is. But don't go back to that. I mean, everybody, everybody's an immigrant. But here's here's the only here's the problem with the illegal immigrants is hold down the wages of the blue collar worker. So they're they're the I only see thing it. that I have. I agree. They always did. More I'm I'm gonna I'm they gonna know. disagree with that too. So I, I, but yeah. those jobs need to be done by somebody. That's the thing. Wait. I don't want my kid out doing some menial task job. I'm sorry if if there's an immigrant kid that wants to do it. I'm fine with that. Well, and, and, and that's the whole that's the whole cycle. Let's hold on. The Irish, they came. They wait a minute. Low, low man on the pole with the done. Wait a minute. We don't even have to go to immigrants for this issue. When I was 14, I took a job and I took it at minimum wage. And teenagers drive down wages. So what? That's how this works. That's how it works. Yeah. The beauty of the immigrant thing is, right, so, okay, the immigrant comes and does the, the menial task that no one really wants to do, and he's just thrilled to death to be here. And then he raises a family, and he puts a kid through college, and now all of a sudden that cycle changes, right? So it's, it's, it's generational. A lot of those people make great lives for themselves. They love being in here, and they're, they're more patriotic than, than 
some people whose families came over on the freaking Mayflower. Hey, you know another... Uh, so, yeah, to me... Another good example of this that's going on right now, and I don't know... Any of you follow, like, the the daily press briefings from the White House? No, I can't hardly. No. Okay. I well, told you, I, I try to not watch. Yeah, so, so if you haven't been following this, so press briefings have become a joke in so many ways. I don't want to get too deep into it. But, you know, they really started to try to ignore some of the more conservative journalists when they ask questions. But... The best journalist in the room right now, I swear, is a guy called Simon Atiba, and he's from South Africa. And the guy is just, he's what we used to think of as a journalist, and they banned him from the White House because he was asking real questions the way a journalist should, and has an incredible take on all this being, you know, from South Africa itself, but you know, he made it onto Fox News to talk about the fact that they were trying to kick him out of the briefing room. And uh, now he's got like, you know, a zillion followers on Twitter and the guy's trending. And But there is another good example of our journalists have become total pussies and they're just part of the whole uh, the whole media government thing. We're, we're just not getting truth out of anybody anymore. And here comes this immigrant and make his reporting over anybody in the room. I agree with you a hundred percent about that. And I'm not anti-immigrant by any means. We can't have the getaway. Anybody that comes over the border now and and getaway part, there's, there's, here's what I want. Here's what I want. I want a very, very secure physical border that people can't get across easily into our country. And then I want a good immigration policy that vets people but allows a lot of them in. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and, and vet them quickly. That's the thing. Yeah. We have the technology to vet them quickly. Of course. I mean, it should be hard. It's not right? hard at all. It be hard. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. That, that, the Atlantic Ocean had a lot to do with securing the border then. <laughs> that little pond. Does, does, does anybody know if we're DNA te- uh, swabbing every immigrant uh, that's coming in? No, we're not. We're giving them cell phones and a plane ticket. Swabbing them? Hell no. The whole system's a mess right now. And again, if you try to speak out against it, you're called a racist and you're anti-immigrant. You don't like people of color. It's absolutely not true. I'm standing there saying, bring in more. Let's just do it right. Yeah, and again, but you're speaking out against it differently than a lot of people. There, There is there is definite, you know, some xenophobic uh, sentiment here in this country. I mean, you oh, and I are agreeing, okay, we need a nice secure border with, oh, with a fast, efficient track to citizenship, right? And, you know, that's 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 different than, you know, just the shutting it down, which, you know, we, yeah. and right now we're, like I said, we're feeling the effects of not enough and not enough people having babies. And I'm going back to your now, book you recommended a few months ago that I listened to that the end of the world as we know it, like it's, it's, yeah, that, that's true. I mean, we need, we, we need people to do stuff. We need yeah. people, John. you know, farm families I, used to have a lot of kids because they needed a labor force. I mean, that's really how this world works. We <laughs> We need people to do work and just, uh, you know, 
will say, though, that there's another thing I speak out against and people take it the wrong way. I am not for these blanket amnesty programs to just, you know, let's just fix it and move on. And everybody that's already here gets amnesty. I have a problem with that because we allowed them to come here illegally. We allowed them to break our law because our system is such a mess. If we had a good legal system that you could get through fairly quickly, and we should be able to, that would stop a lot of this. But we we had horrible policies for decades, and I don't like to reward people for breaking laws. Gotcha. Yeah, I agree. So it's our fault that our policy sucked for so long, but I I don't think the answer is to just say, well, if you made it here, you get to stay here and and you get all the benefits of being here. It's a shame because a lot of those people probably would improve our country if we left them here. The whole thing's such a mess. It's funny because I get to see this firsthand. You know where I live, don't you, Kevin? I live in Laredo. I'm right on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I see on the news, I don't see I live there. Right. Right. Yeah, I know. All right, we're going to... You would think it's the Wild Wild West, and it's not. It, well, it depends on where you go. I was like, uh, so your uh, you're, so radio neighbor makes the... Or mayor makes the news quite often. I, I really enjoy what he says normally. Like he's, I've, I've seen him interviewed a couple of times. He seems like a pretty pretty good guy. Yeah, I think so. Let's, um, hey, Tom, I, I cut you loose. We got to move along. Let's go to Ohio. John, welcome. Yeah, I got one complaint. That X3 bar is kicking my ass. <laughs> but uh, the reason I called, I live right up Route 11 from Youngstown, about halfway to the lake. And I try not to watch the news on the weekends. So we're having a few beers Sunday. Monday morning, I get up, my throat is killing me. Then think nothing of it until I start watching the news. So where are you, like, uh, around Ashtabula? I'm halfway between Youngstown and Ashtabula, like by the rest area. Oh, okay. You're better, yeah. and, hey, you know, You're not that close. No, not really. Yeah, so, you know, so Monday morning, I get up, leave, go to New York, and on the way to Alabama. By Tuesday, it's gone. I thought for sure I was coming down with something. This is not but good. Then you start watching the news, and the, you start wondering, you know. Yeah, th- this isn't good. The more it's I learn, and I'm not learning it from the news media, but the more I learn, the worse this sounds. Yeah, the first time I heard about it, I seen somebody had a video of them blowing that thing up or lighting it on fire or whatever they want to call it. And I'm like, what is this? And then I got, you know, then Fox finally picked it up. And You know, and it comes to how they did this. What's so we've it? got... We've got five rail cars laying on their side with this really volatile chemical. And I understand one of the problems, and I I flunked chemistry, so not really up on what I'm talking about here. So I'm just repeating things. But this stuff, uh, I don't even know what the term for it is, uh, flashes at eight degrees Fahrenheit, turns into a gas. We ship it as a liquid. We have to, are we saying we keep that stuff under eight degrees Fahrenheit while we're shipping it? Yeah. How does that work? It has to be, it has to be refrigerated to that degree. That's how that would work. Yeah. So it's got to be refrigerated. So they flip over. They're not leaking. They're not on fire. They haven't been breached as far as I can tell from the information I get. Now I understand trying to, 
you know, stand them back up or whatever we're going to have to do. Maybe that's dangerous. I don't know. Nobody talked about this. We didn't get any information. So instead, we dig a big trench. If you watch some of the footage, you can see that fire. Why is that fire in such a weird shape? It's this long line of fire because they dug a trench and As this stuff is coming out and flashing off and they burned it, it fills the trench. And that you're watching that trench burn. Who thought this was a good idea and why wasn't this talked about? What There had to be a better way to do this. Because they wanted to hurry up and get it done before anybody... They had to get it done quickly before anyone thought about it. That that seems like what they did. The media thing, because this is... This is the normal, you know, what a lot of us don't like about mainstream media. This is something that normally be all over. Right. Right. They could pin this on big business. They could do whatever. This fits the narrative of whatever this is, is bad enough that they're not like maybe that that's kind of. Yeah. I didn't think of it in that manner until you mentioned it, Kevin, but it's it's super odd. It's not being reported. Yeah. I mean, I live, you know, 80 miles from there, 60 miles from there. And I, yeah. Everything to the east has been all right. I haven't had anything weird going on, but yeah, it seemed like it it went. It seems like it went farther north than I would have expected it to. Oh, you're right. Directly, it is a blurb on the local news, like like anything else. It's nothing. They, they don't they don't cover it on anything like that. Yeah. So I mean, it seems to be picking up a little bit, but yeah. so let's think about just, let's think about prior to COVID because. That's kind of when everything seemed to have changed. The whole world has changed since then. But prior to that, something like this, there would have been 37 cameras on 24 hours a day. And anytime you wanted to check in to see what's going on in East Palestine, there'd be a camera somewhere. I can't find a single reporter other than independents. Again, like I said, it, it Normally would have, that's what normally would have fit their narrative, right? Right. They take a big company to blame this on and whatever. Oh. It's, it's like everything you could imagine. Yeah. You know, you, you know, I hear little blurbs. You got, you got, you got some safety regs that were sealed in the Trump era that could have caused the thing to crash that all of it, like there's, there's, you know, and it's not being reported, which is bizarre. So it is bizarre. Yeah. It's, but uh, it, it's bizarre because, because it fits their narrative, right? Yeah. So, why? Normally, not only would we have 37 cameras right there in East Palestine, somebody would already be with a camera 150 miles downstream and upstream and west, and they'd be standing there testing water and telling us all about it. And none of that, nothing. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. The the biggest thing I heard of, uh, and they were talking about that on the news, Apparently, they stop and periodically walk by, and when the train's that long, they got X amount of seconds to inspect each car. It's like one. Well, you know, there's. You, you would think they'd have infrared sensors or something detecting wheel bearing temperatures and everything. Well, there's two big and issues. I think they here. do have stuff like that that they drive by, don't they? Well, they have sensors on the axles, That's- but they put them on so few. They put them on so few axles, and it's just cost. That's all it is. They just won't put them there on the are, other there. axles because it costs too much. You know, there's two things here we could talk about. There Both are. of them are big. We could talk about this should have never happened in the first place, and we need to make sure it doesn't happen again. We need to fix the crumbling infrastructure we have in the, the rail industry here. And the other bigger thing for me right now is 
why is nobody talking about this and how dangerous is it for these people? Why why aren't we getting them the hell out of there until we figure this out? I have no idea. I don't either, but it's scary. It really is. I'm not going to head that direction anytime soon. Oh, hell no. Stay away from there. (laughs) I'm not going that way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm not out of things to rant about, but it's Friday and I'm tired of ranting. I've been ranting all week. So uh, I'm done for the week. Anything you guys want to wrap up with? Uh, I'm good. in town next week, so I guess we're going to record a show. Going to do a, a pre-recording at some point next week, Thursday or something. I think we are. Yeah, uh, we're going to be. I'm going to be on the road for about two weeks. We're going down for a big uh, natural food trade show. It's the biggest, uh, biggest in the country, Expo West. My God, from from what I can tell on the vendor list, it looks like it's about four times bigger than Louisville as far as vendors go. Oh wow! It is okay. huge. Okay. Yeah, so. Uh, it's a week long. I think it's a week long because it's so big it takes that long to get through the whole thing. But we'll be down there for a week, and then I think I'm just going to go hide up in the mountains somewhere. I hate where we have to go for this. It's in Anaheim, of all places. Um, not one of my favorite parts of the country. But from there, we'll we'll head west up into the mountains, and I think I'm just going to hang out up, up there for a week or so. So we got to get some recordings done for the days I'm traveling. Sounds good. All right. Henry, anything you want to close with? Everything's already happened before is my thought when you, you know, <laughs> I always go back to but engines, all, you know, telegraph. We're talking about artificial intelligence. One form or another, it's, it's happened before. Yep. So, Henry, I'm going to be back in uh, Austin for some Ferrari stuff coming up. I'll, I'll invite you over if you happen to be home on the radio. You can take a ride over to Austin. Check out the uh, Grand Prix circuit. I don't know if you've been there yet, but it's pretty cool. No, you wouldn't have to twist my arm too hard to get up there. You there want to, uh, yeah, it's, it's a Ferrari test and a Ferrari race, so you'll eat really well while you're there, too. So, yeah. That sounds like a sounds like a deal for sure. There That's you go. I'll, I'll, I'll stay in touch on that. I've got your number now. So, yeah, we're good. There you Sorry. go. All right. You guys, I'll, I'll, I'll catch you next week. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll do it again next week. Uh, I'll let you know on the schedule next Monday because, like I said, i got to do some recordings and I'll have a schedule all figured out by Monday. But we're not going to miss any days, I don't think, for those two weeks or three weeks that I might be gone. We're going to make sure we've got a show. Uh, We're going to try real hard to make sure we have a show every day. Uh, See you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.